it's uh, pretty clear that uh, whoever's in that building clearly isn't very bright. Tonight, the lessons not learned at this apartment and concerns about more post-game partying. Plus... And I asked him, what's the issue, what's your problem? And suddenly he punched me. Another blow to a once coveted neighborhood. Why some say Vancouver has become dangerous and... But I've never seen anybody take the whole bike rack. Next level bike theft. What to do when the thief takes the bike and the stand it's locked to? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Victoria police are exasperated and frustrated after being called for the second night in a row to break up a party in the same downtown apartment. And when it comes to following COVID-19 health and safety protocols, some Canucks fans don't appear to be getting the message either. Jordan Armstrong has our top story. Incredibly disappointing. That's how Victoria police are describing their repeat visits to this residential building in the 1000 block of Fort Street. The disappointing part about this is that we had been called to that suite the night before for a very large gathering in which about 40 to 60 people had attended to a small one-bedroom suite. Despite multiple warnings early Saturday to wrap things up, police say the party host refused and was slapped with a $2,300 fine. Then, early Sunday, less than 24 hours later, police were back at the same suite. There was a smaller gathering, about 15 people. The host was much more compliant this time and dispersed. But Constable McIntyre says one guest was belligerent and wouldn't leave. He was arrested for obstructing a peace officer and handed a $230 ticket. It's unfortunate that a small number of people here repeatedly um, are acting recklessly. He adds many of the partiers were youth. On Saturday, the suite, according to officers, was so densely packed and hot that the windows were fogged up. Another concern, Canucks revelers. This was the scene Friday night on the Surrey Delta border. No word if any fines were issued there. Police in Abbotsford are reminding fans to be responsible and leave the fireworks at home. Fireworks that are being lit in a public place, such as crowds, somebody is going to get burnt or really severely hurt. And again, we do not want anybody getting hurt. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, clearly some people aren't worried about getting COVID mm -hmm. or the stiff fines announced by Public Minister, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth on Friday. And now some politicians, I understand, are taking punishment a step further. Yes, and I think you're going to see that uh, continue, uh, Colin, because I think that reflects uh, where they think the public is at right now. No tolerance for people breaking the rules, and they want to clamp down. So uh, Los Angeles Mayor Gil Garcetti came up with the novel idea of cutting, down, uh, cutting off power and water to a notorious party house in the Hollywood Hills. And we decided to put that question to B.C. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth for his take. He's not ruling something like that in, but he's not taking it off the table either. Here's the two of them. By turning off that power, shutting down that water, we feel we can close these places down, which usually are not one-time offenders. Uh, I hope the measures that we have put in place uh, will in fact uh, uh, suffice uh, and that, uh, you know, people get the message. But it is an example in other jurisdictions, like where we've seen in the States, of when you've got, you know, uh, this, this pandemic and you can't flatten that curve, the kinds of measures that, that may at some point uh, some communities have had to take. 
um, I hope we don't have to go to that place. But we may very well go to that place, Colleen. Don't be surprised if we do see unique and, and sort of um, uh, interesting solutions to solving the party problem if these fines don't uh, have that impact. Uh, people have asked me, why are the fines only $2,000? I think a lot of people wanted uh, stronger fines, uh, heavier fines like $5,000. Government officials tell me the problem is they don't think that would necessarily stand up to a court challenge if you had a $5,000 fine. You'd probably, the government would probably be required to set up some sort of tribunal system to have a much more detailed appeal system that currently is in place with a $2,000 fine. But don't expect this to be the end of the matter. No, not at all. All right. Thanks, Keith. Yeah. Starting tomorrow, new rules go into effect on board two major forms of transportation across the province. With a few exceptions, passengers using public transit or BC ferries will now have to wear a mask. As Grace Key reports, the mandate follows growing compliance and acceptance of our new normal. If you take transit, don't forget to grab your mask before you head out the door. Starting Monday, it'll be mandatory to wear a non-medical mask on all TransLink and BC Transit vehicles. It really provides an added level of confidence in our customers to return back to public transit. We're seeing ridership increase in cities across Canada. 8,000 signs about the new policy are going up across the network. Transit police have the authority to remove people from the system and issue a $150 fine. But during the initial stage, the focus will be on education. We aren't denying service at this stage. Uh, transit police do have the ability to issue fines, but again, right now, our focus is on education rather than enforcement. People exempt from the policy include those under five years of age, people with underlying medical conditions, or needing assistance to wear one. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry has encouraged masks on transit because of the difficulty to physically distance. I think it's a smart thing to do. We're all just trying to keep people safe. I will wear, wear masks tomorrow, but... I don't like it. I think once everybody gets used to this mask thing, I think it's just going to be a breeze, you know? But it, it has to be done. I know a lot of people don't want to do it, but I think it's really necessary. BC Ferries is also rolling out its mandatory mask policy on Monday. You're exempt while inside your car eating if under two years of age or have a medical condition. TransLink has handed out 10,000 masks already, with 20,000 more to follow. Several Canadian cities have already initiated a mandatory mask policy. Toronto has seen a 95% compliance with no enforcement. In the coming weeks, TransLink will take a look at the numbers here. Grace Key, Global News. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union of Canada is concerned after an international vessel docked in Canadian waters with confirmed cases of COVID-19 on board. The captain of container ship Sophia Express, which is docked at Delta Port, told government officials he had crew members on board with symptoms. Now at least two have tested positive and are in quarantine. But the union vice president says Transport Canada and the Public Health Agency of Canada told his members the ship was safe to board. One of the pilots who helped to dock the vessel reported five more people on board waiting for a second COVID-19 test. Union members protested, temporarily stopping work on Saturday. The union vice president says that situation was resolved, but officials were not transparent with the possible risks to crew members boarding the ships. Three members of Local 500 have tested positive for COVID in the night last week.
Victoria police are warning the public after a man was pricked by a needle in Beacon Hill Park last night. Police say the man's foot was pierced by the uncapped needle as he stepped onto a dirt area in the downtown park. He went to hospital and reported the incident to patrol officers. Earlier this month, a bloody uncapped syringe was found taped to a handrail on a staircase in the park. Victoria police believe it was intentionally placed there to harm someone. Officers have ramped up patrols in Beacon Hill Park in response to public concerns about a growing homeless encampment. Vancouver police are investigating a violent disturbance last night on Davies Street. They say a group of people was preaching on the corner of Thurlow and Davie using a microphone to broadcast religious and anti-gay chants. A man approached the group and asked them to stop. Shortly thereafter, the man was thrown to the ground and broke his leg. Police arrested two men from the group. They're recommending charges of aggravated assault and mischief. A pizza delivery driver is speaking out tonight after a violent ordeal. He was recently assaulted, punched in the face at random while trying to do his job in the Yaletown area. As Julia Foy reports, some say it's just the latest example of increasing crime in several BC neighborhoods. I was totally shocked with it because this is the first time I, ex I experienced this. 27-year-old Imran Ali Khan usually loves his job as a delivery expert with Domino Pizza in Yaletown. But on Tuesday night, that all changed. He jumped right in front of my car with arms spread. And like, you can't pass away from here. Khan says he was returning from a delivery on Gore Street when he was confronted by an angry middle-aged white male. When I was sitting in the car, he punched me in the once. When I was getting out of the car, he punched me twice. Khan says when he got out of his car, things got worse. When I pushed him, I think, yeah, he fell. But then he grabbed a big stone. And he was like, I'll smash your head. So that's why I rushed back to the car. And when I was sitting in the car, you know, he grabbed the domino sign top and he smashed the rear window. It's not only him, but we all are pretty in the shock and traumatized with this incident. The Granville Street manager says violence from street people is escalating. My staff is really nervous because... Um, Another thing is like we not only use a car because it's downtown, we have to have a bikes too to compete. Recently, several residents in the same Yaletown neighborhood say they've been threatened. He pulled out the needle from his arm, um, called us a number of cuss words and began chasing us across the street saying that he was going to kill me. It's become a really sad, disappointing, embarrassing place. Some families are saying it's just too dangerous to stay in the neighborhood. Several businesses have hired security staff, but Khan says it's not enough. I think the government needs to, you know, do something for them so that, you know, the other businesses could, you know, work safely and properly. Julia Foy, Global News. In the South Okanagan, the all-out effort continues to contain the Christie Mountain wildfire just south of Penticton. It is still spreading in all directions. It is still out of control fire, and it is, uh, it is being actively on all perimeters of the fire. 170 firefighters are on scene today fighting the 2,000-hectare blaze, and they're being assisted by air support, including numerous helicopters and eight pieces of heavy equipment. Structure protection teams remain in place doing what they can to prevent any more homes from burning.
We did a lot of work in advance. Uh, we, we raised the, the humidity around those homes uh, to the point where we, we haven't seen any other ignitions other than just small kind of brushes that we've been able to clean up. In fact, there's been uh, fires that have burned right up to the lines that we established. Uh, you know, so black, black burnt right up to the homes, but uh, weren't, did not ignite the homes just based on our efforts for the structure protection. Last week, one home was destroyed by flames in the Heritage Hills area just north of Okanagan Falls. The Heritage Hills area is where 319 properties remain on evacuation order. Those residents have been out of their homes for five long nights. Many are anxious to know when they'll get the go-ahead to go home. Global's Travis Lowe has that part of the story. A heavy helicopter dumps a load of water on a hot spot, rotating up from the lake every four minutes. The aerial assault easing the ground game in the canyons of the Christie Mountain Fire, southeast of Penticton. We have large uh, aircraft in the, in the air, dropping uh, copious amounts of water all around the perimeter. Even so, the airspace above the fire looks a little different from the last few days, but there are still 16 helicopters actioning the fire as it holds steady at 2,035 hectares. Very limited overnight growth. The fire now is at a class one or class two, which are the two lowest fire classes on the five class ranking. And so without substantial growth overnight on the Christie Mountain Fire, the question now becomes, when will those people whose homes have been evacuated in the Heritage Hills subdivision be allowed to return home? Until I'm satisfied that uh, we've hardened the homes and fire smarted them to the point to where we can allow, allow residents back in, is when we'll decide, working with the incident management team, operations chief and the IC, on how that will be coordinated, and that'll be coming out in the next few days. The mayor of Penticton taking to the mic to thank everyone involved in fighting the fire. The stress level has gone down, has gone down about tenfold. You, you, you don't know how pleased all the folks are that the uh, BC wildfire uh, people are doing such a good job along with our fire department here and all the other fire departments. But for now, the tough work of trying to contain the Christie Mountain Fire continues. Travis Lowe, Global News, Penticton. In the central Kootenai, the Talbot Creek Fire in the Slocan Valley has hundreds of residents preparing to leave at a moment's notice. It was sparked by lightning and has grown to about 200 hectares. It's located about 300 kilometers northwest of Highway 6 and about 30K north of Castlegar. The regional district has issued an evacuation alert for people living in more than 300 homes in the area. They're nervously watching the wind as they pack up, ready to leave. I think everyone's calm, just waiting to see what happens and, and you know, just make sure that we're ready if we have to be, because there's too much to do if you have to scramble. I live on a farm with my family and we have these two horses. She has a sister and a cow and some other animals. and. We're just kind of working on a bit of a farm evacuation plan. We're not really sure where we're going to take all our livestock. Right now, these two horses are just down the road from here. Um, and yeah, I think we might just set the, set the animals free if it comes to it. BC's largest wildfire has grown slightly in the last 24 hours. The Dr. Creek wildfire, 25 kilometers southwest of Canal Flats in the Kootenays, now covers 3,071 hectares. An evacuation order remains in effect for 10 properties. 
72 crew members are working the blaze, including two pieces of heavy equipment and five helicopters. And this fire was also sparked by lightning. Friends and family of a young Surrey man who drowned in, a, in an incident last a week, a week ago that is, are holding a vigil in his honor tonight. 25-year-old Dunpreet Singh Baines was swimming with friends at Davis Lake near Mission last Sunday when he drowned. RCMP and the coroner are investigating the sudden death. Baines is being remembered as an athlete, a star soccer player, and a role model to everyone who knew him. His friends are hoping others will learn from his death so no other family has to experience this kind of tragedy. He was such a, a loving, charismatic guy, and he had that personality which kind of drew everyone to him. Don't underestimate the water, especially if it's not supervised by lifeguards or, you know, uh, you never know what the water can do. It, you, you can never underestimate it, especially if there's nobody there to help you. A physically distanced vigil for Baines is underway now at Sullivan Heights Secondary in Surrey. Well, it used to be said that these will take anything that isn't nailed down. Turns out that's not true. A man in Vancouver spotted an alleged bike thief this week carrying a little extra weight, and now the city is trying to determine if this is a new trend in bike heists. Kristen Robinson picks up the story. Hey, hey, hey. Is that your bike here? Yeah. When it comes to alleged bike thefts, Why, uh, Vancouver does it well. From Crosstown yeah, to Olympic Village. I was shocked, so I grabbed my camera and I moved to the other part of my deck and snapped a photo. Where Mark Frompson encountered what may be the most brazen suspect yet. But I've never seen anybody take the whole bike rack. Take another look. Not just the bike, but the rack too. It looked like he was... Uh, you know, a pretty enterprising young thief, I guess. He'd managed to get the rack off and he just put it on top of the bike and was wheeling both of them down the street. Oh, I think he was uh, inventive. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't walk away with a win. The man's suspicious haul found abandoned a block away outside the gold medal club on Athlete's Way. Well, maybe it was, it was so obvious that people started paying attention to him and he got nervous. Two and a half blocks from here, Nuts and bolts litter the sidewalk outside Nook Restaurant, where it appears a bike rack is missing. Vancouver police say they're seeing a decrease in bike thefts compared to last year. The latest stats for May and June show the number of stolen bikes is down 42% over the same time in 2019. The city checking with engineering to see if this is a new trend that needs to be nailed down. It makes you think twice about where to lock it up. Now they're going to spend about uh, a $300,000 survey on what type of bolts they're going to have to put into the ground. Maybe not. These were the only racks with exposed bolts we could find. Most of the other bike stands in False Creek appear to be implanted into solid ground. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A warning from the Canadian Food Inspection Agency tonight. Some imported peaches are being recalled because they could be contaminated with salmonella. The CFIA says Prima Wawona has recalled fresh peaches under various brand names. They were sold in packages and individually between June 1st and August 22nd. The agency adds it's conducting its own investigation, so there could be further recalls. The Public Health Agency of Canada is investigating any possible illnesses. Another outbreak of salmonella linked to red onions imported from the U.S. has sickened at least 379 people across Canada, including right here in B.C. 
We have breaking news. The Conservative Party of Canada is still in the process of choosing a new leader to replace Andrew Scheer. Global's Abigail Beeman has been following the virtual leadership convention this weekend and joins us live from Ottawa with the details. Abigail, tabulating began this afternoon, but hit a bit of a snag. What's the latest? Well, actually, tabulating began at 4 a.m. this morning. So it was, you know, a very long day for those people in those rooms. But the problem is an issue with the machine that cuts open the envelopes. It was cutting into some of the ballots. The latest information we have is that several thousand ballots were affected. The Conservatives had a record-breaking turnout uh, in this race. So there are 175,000 in total. We're told about 3% are problematic here. So just got an update from the party seconds ago. There's still no ETA for when the results will start to come in. We had heard uh, 10 o'clock uh, Eastern a little while ago, but still no ETA as to when that will happen. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, what are some of the challenges facing the new leader come Monday morning if we know who that new leader is? Right. That's a caveat we weren't saying a short time ago, but yes, there you go. So uh, Monday morning, you know, it's an interesting position in that the new leader will have a month before the House resumes because uh, the Trudeau Liberals have prorogued Parliament. Uh, lots on their plate. Uh, many people here tell me that the number one issue or the number one thing to, to, to tick off the to-do list is party unity. So you've had a, a campaign with uh, four candidates here. There was a lot of division within caucus in terms of who was supporting who. Now Now's the time to, to get everybody on the same page, which is what Andrew Scheer alluded to in the speech that he made uh, a few minutes ago. But after party unity, a lot of things uh, to decide, namely, will the Conservatives push for an election this fall? Because there will be a confidence vote uh, when the House resumes uh, at the end of September. So that's a big question, too. But right now, the big question is who is going to win? Abigail, we will have the latest tonight at 11. Thanks for joining us. Investigators in Iran say they've recovered about 19 seconds of cockpit conversation from the Ukrainian jetliner that was shot down over Tehran in January. Data from the black boxes reveals it was hit by two missiles 25 seconds apart and that passengers were still alive for some time after the first impact. The flight recorders were sent to Paris in June to be examined by a team of international investigators, including experts from Canada. The Transportation Board of Canada says their investigation continues. 55 Canadians were killed in that crash. The Republican National Convention gets underway tomorrow, and protesters are already gathering near the site. The president and vice president are expected to officially nom be nominated into the GOP ticket, but Donald Trump's character is once again being called into question after secret recordings of his sister were made public. Jennifer Johnson reports. Protesters have taken to the streets of Charlotte, North Carolina, ahead of the start of the Republican National Convention. Despite the COVID-19 pandemic, U.S. President Donald Trump is expected to thank delegates in person at the convention center Monday. We're going to talk about the American story, about all the accomplishments that we've had over the last four years with President Trump and what the president's second term vision is going to look like. The GOP's big event to formally nominate the Trump-Pence ticket comes as the president's sister is making headlines. The Washington Post first reported that Marianne Trump Barry, a retired federal judge, was secretly recorded by the president's niece. On those recordings, Barry is heard saying her brother has no principles and can't be trusted. The change of stories, a lack of preparation, the lying, the holy But he's appealing to the base. 
Trump Barry has not commented on the recordings, but the White House chief of staff is defending the president. This is politics as usual by, by uh, uh, a niece that uh, was written out of a will that would apparently uh, just has a, an axe to grind. Meanwhile, the president is facing a new battle with Congress. In a rare weekend session, the House approved a bill giving the U.S. Postal Service $25 billion and banned the removal of mail collection boxes and sorting machines ahead of November's election. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, a major Trump campaign donor, had ordered the removal of the equipment, then warned 46 states some votes for the election may not be counted in time. We will send it to the Senate. And let me just say uh, that, as I've always said, public sentiment is everything. They'll be hearing from their constituents because this hits home. Senate Republicans say they have no plans to act on the legislation, and President Trump has already threatened to veto it. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. A pair of glasses belonging to Indian civil rights leader Mahatma Gandhi sold at a U.K. auction for, get this, more than $340,000. The golden-rimmed spectacles were submitted to East Bristol Auction House in London's southwest by a man whose uncle had been given the glasses by Gandhi in the 1920s. They've been in the same family for 100 years, uh, and at no point in, those, in that 100-year lifetime did anybody ever think they were worth anything. Um, when I first spoke to the vendor, his exact words were to me, well, if they're no good, uh, just throw them away. Wow. The glasses were sold to an American collector after six minutes of bidding over the phone, and they were valued between thirteen dollars and $26,000. Indonesia's Mount Sinabung has erupted once again, spewing a massive column of ash into the sky. It's been rumbling since a small eruption on August 8th and two others on August 11th and 13th. Residents and tourists have been once again been advised to stay five kilometers away from the volcano. Some 30,000 people have been forced to leave homes around Sinabung in the last few years. The volcano was dormant for 400 years before exploding in 2010, 2014 and 2016, killing a total of 26 people. You never know what you're going to find out on a hike if you have a keen eye. A cliff collapse in the Grand Canyon has revealed a 313-year-old fossil footprints. Look at that. Norwegian geology professor Alan Krill was hiking with his students when he made the surprising discovery. Lying next to the trail in plain view of many hikers was a boulder containing the oldest tracks on Earth of shelled egg-laying animals. That would be reptiles. A small dog defends its family from a bear in Coquitlam. What happens next? We'll have that right after Yvonne's forecast. It I'm was, rooting for the dog. You're wait, I know. It's, it's very cute. Uh, I, can, I can give you a, a, a preview. He's okay. Okay, good. He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that weather forecast. Like, I, it was cold today. Yeah, it's a little net out there. I would say uh, it's a bit cooler with the cloud cover out there, so it was definitely more cloud than sun, uh, but it is going to improve, and we've got a fair bit of sunshine, a pretty looking, a pretty good-looking five-day forecast, and I'll show you that in just a moment. Here's what it does look outside. Uh, this is overlooking English Bay. Temperatures today got into the low 20s. A look back at some photos that were captured over the weekend, though. A beautiful shot, Pender Harbor, so thank you so much, Rebecca. Cream Lake uh, captured by Deb. 
with the water and in Coldstream, a sunset last night taken by Spencer. So thank you so much. We are actually seeing a few isolated showers popping up along the eastern edge of the island near Nanaimo, along the Sunshine Coast, pushing in towards Howe Sound. Squamish and Whistler this evening could see a few isolated showers and then it'll be dry overnight tonight. But we are going to hang on to this cloud cover for all areas across the south coast. The northern half of the province, we've been seeing an unsettled weekend. We'll continue to see some wet weather and then the next weather maker is going to push in, but the heavier precipitation will be late day tomorrow. So overnight tonight, temperatures down to 15 degrees. We've got cloud cover for the morning hours on Monday, but great news. A clearing is on the way. We've got some sunshine. It does start to brighten up. Temperatures tomorrow will bump up to 21 degrees. Now the moisture is along the northern half of the province. Overnight for tomorrow morning, it'll be scattered showers. And then the next wave does pick up. It'll be heavier at times towards the evening. The concern across the central interior tomorrow will be the risk of thunderstorms. So we are looking at some instability. Upper level chart, we are also tracking a ridge of high pressure building in over the next few days. What we'll see as a result is dry conditions. A look at the temperature trend, though. It is going to warm up the concern for the interior dry conditions and potentially getting closer to 30 degrees as we approach the end of the week and then a change on the way towards Saturday and Sunday. Fire danger rating for the southeastern corners at high to extreme. We can see that for the following areas that are indicated in red and most areas for the southern interior underneath moderate to high, but Please be very diligent with your campfires as well as disposing of your cigarette butts because the suspected cause for human is at 844 lightning and 23 unknown. We've got 75 active fires that we're currently tracking and that's from the BC Wildfire Service. So the northern half of the province tomorrow still seeing showers, but the next wave of rain is going to move in towards the evening and heavy at times. The instability with the risk of thunderstorms stretches into the northeastern corners, the central interior and the Columbia also included within that. Now to the the south of it for tomorrow. It is more cloud cover, especially for the morning hours, clearing towards the afternoon. Many spots in towards the Okanagan, the winds tomorrow, northwesterly, 20, could see gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Now along the south coast, so a heads up, tomorrow morning we've got cloud cover, but a nice clearing is on the way. Colleen, a pretty good looking forecast. We've got plenty of sunshine. It's going to be dry. Temperature's not hot, but it is going to be pleasant. We'll be into the low 20s. Back I'll, to you. I'll take it. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Wildlife sightings in Metro Vancouver aren't that unusual, but this is. And more proof that size doesn't matter. Check this out. Jersey! 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 This is one feisty dog facing down a black bear. Jersey is an 11-pound Jack Russell Terrier. He was on the farm with his family in Port Coquitlam when he came across a bear. He immediately ran towards it and began barking. Eventually, the bear walked away and Jersey ran back to his family with his tail wagging, held rather high, I'm sure. <laughs> That's so cute. Everybody needs a Jersey if they've got some bears. Yes. <laughs> Jack Russells are sparky dogs. It's like Antoine Roussel going up against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, big, uh, big bruising forwards, you know. I knew you'd come up with a sports analogy. I, pretty much everything in life is that way for me. <laughs> That's true. What have you got coming up? Well, uh, about an hour away from face-off. Game one against uh, Vegas, baby. It should be... Uh, game ones are always interesting. You never know if they're going to get right into it or if they kind of feel each other out. But we will hear from the Canucks as uh, they get ready to start a new series. And the Raptors have advanced on to the second round with a historic sweep against the Nets. We'll have highlights of that, too.
With just a few weeks until students return to class, for some, back-to-school jitters are setting in. Students who experienced bullying and harassment have had a welcomed break. And as Marnie Blunt tells us, this year, COVID-19 may be bringing an added layer of anxiety. Psychologists say some children actually thrived with learning from home because they could avoid harassment. And after being away for more than five months, the return to the classroom is bringing on a lot of anxiety. They've um, felt safer, they've been able to focus more on their schoolwork with less distractions. Um, so for some children, this is actually going to be quite challenging, uh, going back after potentially having um, a more successful time socially. And COVID-19 may be only magnifying that anxiety. They're just kind of worried about the stigma that, the, you know, somebody's going to cough and they're now going to get negative attention brought to them saying that they have this, this disease, this, this virus. And um, they're, they're definitely worried about that. What happens when the kid doesn't show up wearing the best mask or the kid gets a better mask and, you know, just little things like that. Psychologists also say anxiety in children can often be difficult to detect, which is why they're encouraging parents to have a conversation with their children before they return to the classroom on September 8th. Marnie Blunt, Global News. As the number of COVID-19 cases increase across the country, including right here, we've seen the tensions rise too. Well, now a new term is being used for those not adhering to health guidelines. Vinesh Pratap reports on the so-called cynical spreaders. At Edmonton's Blue Plate Diner, it's all about playing by the rules. On Thursday night, that was challenged. It was pretty tense. Yeah, he got pretty aggressive. The co-owner was confronted by two customers who refused to wear face coverings. The couple left about five minutes later. I've been in this position a few times and usually the best thing to do is try to approach it with gentleness and a sense of humor, try to provide them with some information. 30 blocks west, Revolution Cycle is also dealing with challenges. So we had someone threaten to burn the store down. The city's mask exemption cards with their credibility in question are not recognized, leading to some online backlash. The store will accommodate anyone who legitimately can't wear a face covering. If one of our staff members gets sick with a cold or something else from somebody without a mask, they're going to miss 10 days worth of work. And so we, we just can't take that risk. A recent Angus Reid poll suggests one in five Canadians make little effort to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Break it down further, it's the prairie provinces which show the highest percentage of what's described as cynical spreaders, with three in ten people who flout guidelines, socialize with large groups including strangers, and forego mask use. We're anxious about the confrontations, we're anxious about our safety. With no one wanting the economy shut down again, McFinn offers a suggestion for all levels of government around health and safety messaging. We want to see something that's consistent, that uh, protects customers, protects family, protects staff, um, and creates an environment where people are all on the same page. With tight margins, turning away any customer is an ideal. But the owners of the Blue Plate stress in these tedious times, they will not be bullied. And we want to keep having a place to employ our staff and we want to continue having a place where our customers can come and feel comfortable. Vinesh Pratap, Global News. Barry's here with sports and Barry, if I time it just right, I can be home in time to watch the start of the game. Yeah, it's about a little less than an hour away before puck drop. Thanks, Colleen. If, If you hustle, but don't speed. Go safely. Yeah, game one, Canucks and Golden Knights coming right up. Vegas is the betting favorite right now to win the Stanley Cup. So obviously Vancouver is a big underdog again. Most of this Golden Knights roster was in the Cup final in 2018. So they've got the experience edge for the Canucks. Half their team is into its first ever playoff, but the Canucks don't mind their youthful mix in this postseason.
it is nice to have a few guys that have been there before, uh, but it's also nice to have some young guys that are excited to play and excited to compete and win and uh, understand, you know, in their own way what, what it takes to win. They've all played big games before and understand that. Uh, we got a lot of guys that are excited, excited to play, love winning. We got a lot of confidence in themselves and, and our team. I think we have a great mix of kind of everything where we have guys who've had experience and and young guys that are um, excited and, and, and willing to do whatever it takes to win as well. So I think we got that good mix, but I think experience is, is huge. You know, guys who've been there and, and veteran presence in the room, I think is, uh, is really important to go far in the playoffs. On the ice right now in the East, Game 1, Lightning and Bruins, top two teams in the East before the COVID shutdown. This should be epic. First period, a minute to go. Charlie Coyle with the deflection of the Brandon Carlo point shot, one nothing after one. And then in the second on the power play, David Krejci, beautiful pass to David Pasternak, who knows how to find the back of the net. 2 nothing Bruins, and that's where they stand late in the second. NBA playoffs. Raptors looking for their first sweep in franchise history, taking on the overmatch. Brooklyn Nets. First quarter, this is not good. Kyle Lowry turns his left ankle on this play, left the game, did not return, hopefully not serious. He is their heart and soul. They need him. Terrence Davis getting extra minutes with Lowry out, takes it to the basket with authority and the monster jam. 39-32 after one. Second quarter, Norm Powell, also more floor time. Great feed from Serge Ibaka, 14 points off the bench for him. 77-68 at the break. Third, more from Powell, another violent flush. He had 29 to lead all scorers. Raps putting the pedal down. Fred Van Vliet with the three, 93-70. Low fives at the bench here, but nothing like that for the NBA Coach of the Year, Nick Nurse. What's that? Raps move the ball so well. OG Ananobi to Serge Ibaka for the jam. Serge, 27 points, 15 rebounds in just 20 minutes. Everything going Toronto's way. Terrence Davis beats the buzzer with the running bank shot three-pointer. 150 to 122. Toronto had 100 bench points in this one as they sweep the Nets in four straight. They're on to the second round. Meanwhile, Celtics and 76ers. Boston also looking for the four-game sweep. Philly missing Ben Simmons out with injury the entire series, but credit the Celtics. They took care of business. Jason Tatum hits the long three. Boston by 12, entering the fourth. Kemba Walker led them with 32. The Celtics will be a handful for the Raptors. They win 110-106. They sweep the Sixers. Toronto and Boston should meet uh, midweek in the second round. In the first, or rather in the West, Mavericks and Clippers, what a game this was. Clips led by 21 in the first half, but Dallas Ward back to take the lead. But Kawhi Leonard doing what he does, hits the clutch jumper here, sends the game to overtime, tied at 121. In OT, Mavs 21-year-old superstar Luka Doncic shows his incredible skill on a bad ankle. Wasn't even sure he'd play, but he drives the lane, lays it in. Now three seconds to go, Dallas down one. It's the Super Slovenian draining the clutch three to win the game at the buzzer. 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists, an amazing performance as the Mavs even the series at two apiece. Champions League final, Bayern Munich and Alfonso Davies versus Paris Saint-Germain. Bayern goalkeeper Manuel Neuer stops Neymar in the first half. It was nil-nil at halftime, but Bayern get on the board in the 59th. Kingsley Coman with the header. And it's 1-0, Bayern Munich. He's lofted it, Kingsley Coman! Gets it in, and uh, Bayern has not lost a game 
in the Champions League, trying to become the first team to ever have a perfect record. No draws, all wins, and Alfonso Davies, some great defending down the stretch, and that's it. Alfonso Davies lifts the European Championship trophy. His life is pretty good right now. 1-0 the final, the sixth European Champions League title for Bayern Munich. Final round of the Northern Trust from Boston. First of the three FedEx Cup playoffs. Ontario's Mackenzie Hughes was the best of the Canadians this week. Third shot on the par five second, and he chips it in for Eagle. Hughes finished tied 13th at 13 under. Hughes, along with Corey Connors, Nick Taylor, and Adam Hadwin, all advanced to the final 70 next week at the BMW in Chicago. But it was the Dustin Johnson show. Started the day with a five-shot lead, extends it to seven with this eight-footer for Eagle at the second. He was in another class this week. He chews up the 500-yard par 4, 12th for the second straight day, sticks his approach to four feet, led to a birdie. Another dominant performance, 30 under par, a monstrous 11-shot win over Harris English. Johnson now leads the FedEx Cup standings after his 22nd career victory, and he is now number one ranked in the world once again. Women's Open Championship, Germany's Sofia Popop authoring a Cinderella story. She has no status on the LPGA Tour, lost her card last year, was caddying for a friend a couple of weeks ago, but she did qualify for this tournament, and she entered the final round with the lead and never gave it up. Shoots a final round, three under 68, seven under par, two better than the field. Her career earnings up to today, 100,000. Today, she won 700,000. It's a great story. She is the women's champion golfer of the year. Indy 500 usually held last Sunday in May, but as we know, 2020 isn't usual. Late in the race, spectacular crash by Spencer Piggott. Bounces off one wall and then careens hard into the inside wall. Piggott was shaken up, taken to hospital to get checked out. We've not heard his condition. So that led to a very undramatic ending as Japan's Takuma Sato wins the race under the caution flag. The Indy 500, they're going about 30 miles an hour across the finish line, but a win's a win. The second for Sato at the old brickyard as he celebrates with the traditional bottle of milk. And Jason Rays from Tampa, Bo Bichette setting out again with a sore knee, hopefully back soon. Jay's six-game win streak snapped yesterday by the Rays. And in the seventh, Austin Meadows with the base hit extends the Tampa lead. The Rays would take a 5-2 advantage to the eighth, but... Lourdes Gurriel Jr. gets Toronto back in it with a two-run homer that just clears the wall and left. Cut the lead to 5-4, but that's how it ends. Jays record now 13-13, but they are hanging on to the eighth and final playoff spot in the American League. And you're right, you can still wait till the end of the show, but you will make it for puck drop, which should be about 7.40 tonight. School starts soon, and for uh, one student in particular very soon. A recent grad from West Vancouver just got some very good news from Western University. There is now space for her in residence against all odds with spots limited due to COVID-19. That means Maya Raji and her parents, both educators themselves, are packing her up and getting ready to make the trip to London, Ontario. Maya was initially told the chances of snagging a spot in residence were exceptionally slim, but she's one of the province's lucky post-secondary students. The good news was surprising and welcome after the challenges that came with being part of the class of 2020. We're so happy for her. We're sad for us. But at the same time now, um, we're having to deal with, uh, you know, what is it going to look like for her? I called two weeks before and they said, you basically have no chance. Um, 
with COVID, we have to really limit our capacity and we have like a 200 person wait list. So I was not expecting it at all. How fabulous. Congratulations to you. Exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. No kidding. No kidding. I almost went to uh, Western. I chose not to, isn't that? That's funny. <laughs> Their loss. Their loss, Colleen. <laughs> I started working in the business instead. <laughs> have a great <laughs> night, you guys. Take care.